This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. And this week, I went to see a doctor, an actual science-based medicine doctor guy. Uh, The reason I did that was um, I had uh, a bum right elbow. This uh, had been bothering me for quite some time, this, this elbow. It, it going back into last year, last fall, and through the winter, I, it, this elbow, this right elbow, of mine would get really sore. If I leaned on it, it would hurt. It would be sore a lot. Um, and of course, it's winter, and you got a shovel, so there's that using that arm in such a way that aggravates the elbow. And, and being a janitor and vacuuming, that aggravates the elbow sometimes too. And and I'm right-handed. That's I, I, I can do some vacuuming with the left, but it's not quite right. And you just want to be efficient and do it quickly. And it was bothering me. And, and then I would hold my arm differently. I would move it differently when doing something to avoid hurting the elbow, which would end up making some of the muscles on, on my forearm hurt because I would just change the way I use my arm. And I would take some Tylenol or some ibuprofen now and again. But that right elbow also has a bit of extra bone, it seems, on the on, right on the tip of the elbow. When you compare it to my left elbow, it just feels a little extra bony. Well, I didn't see the doctor then about it because, I don't know, just suffer in silence. <laughs> I'm a man of a certain age. Aches and pains start to kind of go with the, uh, with the territory, right? Well, in the last few weeks... The painfulness of the elbow had had subsided for for a while. I can't, in fact, I don't remember how long it's been since it hurt in that that same way over this last winter. But uh, something else started happening. The 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 skin over my elbow had begun to balloon up. I mean, it, my elbow began to swell up to about the size, I guess they would say, of a golf ball, uh, maybe half a golf ball. If you, if you figure one half of the golf ball is actually inside your arm, the other one is pushing out, the, the other half is pushing out the skin, that's kind of what it looked like. And I was getting, it, it was uncomfortable. It would be sore and it would ache, but the skin would feel tight, of course, because it's being stretched by, this, by fluid that's building up on my, my elbow for whatever reason. Is it bursitis? Is it the, is, do I have a bone spur on that elbow? Is that, you know, irritating the bursa, which is these uh, fatty tissues that are 
in your skin on your elbow and your hips and things like that and I think it helps to cushion the joints I think that's why it's there that the burst is there and they get inflamed and they can fluid can build up and and that can cause a problem but I don't know why it was what was going on there and I would try cold packs and ibuprofen and it just it, it just was still protruding and the other thing about it it, it wasn't as painful but it was just it's t-shirt weather now and I gotta go around with this 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 egg on my elbow. Just and, it, and Amy, my wife, was telling me not to be too worried about it because most people won't even notice it. Most people aren't even going to notice it, and unless you unless you point it out to them, which I was pretty good at doing, <laughs> pointing out to people. Uh, my friend Dave hadn't noticed it. I was working with him for a couple hours, and he hadn't noticed it. And I got talking about it, and I said, "Well, here, look." He said, "What's wrong with your elbow?" And then I showed him. He goes, "Oh, wow!" <laughs> and he's the one that said. It looks like a cartoon elbow. You know, some cartoons, uh, some cartoon characters are drawn with in such a way where their their elbow goes up, does a does like a little bloop, you know, like like Popeyes. So he's got the big forearms, of course. But if you look at his elbows, they're these little these little bumps for elbows, and 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 it was cartoonish in that, uh, like it, like in the cartoons when a character would get bonked on the head or something, and a big welt would just come and just just grow there. Well, that's what I had going on in my elbow. So. Um, when I met up uh, with the Minnesota Skeptics a couple weeks ago, uh, it came up because, of course, you know I have to do show and tell. You know, you don't have to, but at some point I just pointed it out. And um, uh, one of the skeptics there, uh, a woman, uh, she was just sitting right next to me. She, um, <laughs> you know, I said, well, I showed it to her, and she just immediately reaches and grabs it and gives it a little squeeze. And <laughs> I said, you know, my my wife and my and my son would would run away from me if I tried to get them to, to touch the elbow. I don't know why I would try to do that, but I but I did. I'd say, you know, go ahead, squeeze. It's just you know, it's just squishy. It's just squishy. And this dad, get away from me. No, 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 that's just <laughs> but she just reaches and grabs it. Well, she works in radiology. She does x-rays and such so she said well you know i'm used to this kind of you know, stuff so and then she helped me by uh, looking online at some medical site that she trusts or she says at least is pretty reliable and gave me some information again we don't know if it's bursitis or whatever it is but she did talk about what might be done doctor will probably drain it you might get surgery if it's a bone spur and it's bad enough they might try to remove the bone spur whatever so but she did say yeah go to, go see your doctor so I did. I set up an appointment this past Tuesday. The appointment was at 1.40 in the afternoon. All right, so you get there. I get there about 15 minutes early, at least 10 minutes early. So I check in and go over and sit in the waiting area. And I brought a magazine to read. I brought my Skeptical Inquirer from, uh, from March, April uh, 2016. That's how far behind I am. So I sit down to catch up on some reading, and I, you know, I, I page to where I need to be, and a nurse comes out from back, and she says, "James, <laughs> seriously, really, already?" So I get up, and she brings me back, and she does all the preliminary stuff. Uh, and in fact, when we got into the room and we're sitting down, she says, "Okay, why, and why are we here today?" <laughs> and I show, I said, "Well, because of this." And I show her my elbow, and she went, "Ooh, wow." <laughs> <laughs> I guess she hasn't seen everything, uh, and I and so she we, we we get information and she's uh, we're sitting at this little there's a little table in the room and on the table is a computer with a monitor and she's just entering information and she's writing some stuff down and she's so she gets all that information and then she gets up and says okay I'll let the doctor know you're here 
So out the door she goes, and you know, door closes, and I grab my magazine, and I get to the page where I left off, and I start to read. There's a knock, and in walks the doctor. I mean, what is going on in the medical profession? We used to be able to rely on having waiting time. You know, when am I going to get my reading done if the doctors are going to be coming in right away? It's just, that's just, it's just like, what the hell's happened? Okay, so the doctor comes in. And, uh, you know, he goes, he takes a look at it. He says, oh boy, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's pretty full. But he did say he's seen worse. He's seen elbows where they're even more distended. I said, really? He says, oh yeah. He says, so he explains to me, he says, well, um, he's not sure why it's happened. Uh, you know, he's he's not sure if it's bursitis or not, and and so we he talks about what we can do. He says, "Well, um, I can drain it. What we'll do is we'll numb. We'll put a little numbing agent in your elbow, and then we'll then we'll drain it, and we'll put a steroid in there that should help uh, prevent this from ballooning up again." He says, "That sound like something you'd like to do?" And I said, "Oh yeah, let's let's get that taken care of." So he says, "Well, excuse me." So he, he you know, go get the equipment. So he leaves the room for a little bit, comes back in, and he's got he's got three syringes. One is a small one with a little needle on it, and that's to, to numb numb the area. And then there's two other ones. One is to do the draining, and the other one is to insert uh, the the steroid. And, and then he sets up a, some, you know, that, that, that sort of that uh, thick tissue cloth type paper. He puts that down on the table. I'm, I, haven't, I haven't got onto the, the examination table. I'm sitting right on a chair right next to the table with the computer. So he puts that there just, you know, just to keep it clean from the fallout. And he gets everything prepared. And I had told him, I said, um, I was looking online and I saw that there's a video out there where there's a guy who drains his own elbow. And I, I didn't watch the video. I just saw the preview picture of it. And it's just a picture of a guy standing in front of the uh, the uh, uh, mirror. He's got his elbow aimed at it. And he's got his hand there. And it's hard to see what exactly he's doing. But apparently he drains his own elbow. And the doctor says, well, you know, I have the advantage of having sterile equipment to, to work with. And I said, yeah, and you've got... Uh, You've got um, education and training and experience. You're licensed. <laughs> He's, well, that's true. And so, yeah, I don't want some. You know, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm not. I play doctor online. I'm not really a doctor. I'm not draining my own elbow. So, <laughs> uh, and I. And so anyway, he uh, gives the uh, the numbing agent uh, his little shot there. Now I'm not. I'm not terrible with needles, but. I'm preventative with needles. That means I, I will look away. And when, I, when I have blood drawn, I don't watch them do the insertion and all that stuff. I don't watch them do it. I just look off you know, and I just talk to whoever, the, uh, to the person doing it. But um, so, you know, he's, he's getting going. I'm saying, well, I'll just kind of, I'll look over this way. And he puts the numbing agent in there. He says, this is probably, hopefully, this will be the only, you know, any pain that you're going to feel. This will be a little poke. And it wasn't, it was nothing. So he puts in the numbing agent, and he waits just a little bit. And he says, okay. And he sets up now the, the syringe for the, the draining was a little bigger. It's not huge. It wasn't a huge thing. But it's a little bigger than, than the numbing agent one. And it's bigger than when you go in, you get your flu shot. That's a fairly small syringe that they do. It's just a one-shot thing. Boom, you know, they empty it out and throw it away. And um, 
So the, the syringe he had, he told me it was a, a 3cc syringe. That's its max capacity for to fill it. And so he, um, um, he, ins he inserts now the needle to it, a little bigger and a little thicker. So the that goes in. Now, I'm not watching this. And that needle is part of a little uh, tap, if you will, that uh, that stays in. And you can disconnect the, the, the main syringe part and you can empty it and then just reconnect it and draw out some more. So that's what he does. He, so he, he gets it connected and he draws it out. And I'm not watching, but he says, are you okay? You doing okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And then when he, he gets the first first pull of the stuff out of my elbow and he says, do you want to see it? <laughs> so I, I, I looked. I looked over at it and there he is. He has that syringe and it's filled with three cc's of this reddish brown translucent fluid uh, a part of it dripped onto the uh, the the white paper that uh, you know to keep the the tabletop clean. On the, when it dripped out, it looked a little more orange that way. And then he takes it and he goes over to the trash can and he just zoop, he just squirts it into the trash can. And he comes back over and he attaches it again and he pulls out another batch of it and does the same thing. He does that four times. By the third time, I was watching. So he has it four times. So that's 12 cc's of this fluid. And he had a name for it. I can't remember it. I should have had him write it down for me. But it, he had a name for what it was. And it, it didn't look, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it might look more like pus. I think that's what, you know, so I was a little surprised. I said, is that blood in there? And he says, well, there's there's maybe a little bit, but it's really this other stuff. And he, you know, yeah, I, I, which I can't remember the name of. So each time he would just zip it right into the into the trash can, and then after the uh, uh, after the fourth pull, uh, he comes over to try a fifth one, and he and he pulls and he says, oh, oh, it looks like I got everything out. So he so he disconnects, he throws that that syringe away. He keeps the tap in there that was in there from before, and he takes the other syringe that has the steroid in it, which is a it's kind of cream colored, you know, white cream colored, and it looks a little thicker. Um, than what he was pulling out of there, and he just you know tax you know attaches that to it, boom, and it goes. And he told me before the setup, he says you know there's a, a slight risk of uh, bleeding and and of infection, and this is something he's got to you know tell patients so they can make an informed decision. But uh, he he once he got it out, he you could feel my elbow again. Now, you could feel my elbow in the other case, but you really had to kind of push around to get to it because the, that fluid was really capping that thing off. And so he does feel the elbow, and he says, well, you do have a little extra bone on there. Huh, that's interesting. But he said um, the steroid should keep, keep it from coming back, should help fight against any kind of infection. Um, if it should come back... You know, let me know, and uh, you can come back in. We'll drain it again. He says, in rare occasions, there might be surgery involved, but he seemed to think that I'd be okay. He did suggest that I get a little compression sleeve to put on there to help keep it, to help flatten it out. And he, d he told me that the skin will tighten back again, and it'll my elbow will go back to pretty much normal for me. And, and it has. It's Friday night now. I'm recording this, so the elbow is not ex completely as it was. You can still feel a little softness in there, a little thickness and softness in there, but you can feel the elbow just fine. And I don't have that that terrible stretchy kind of feeling. And it's, you know, it's, it's normal again for me. 
Um, and as I as I called this one, I told the doctor that I says I always refer to this elbow as my rhino horn. So if I if I hold my arm up with my forearm like I'm flexing my my bicep, and I hold out the elbow, and I says you know it's my rhino horn because you know how the rhinos have that horn on the tip of their snout. Well, that's what that's kind of like. Yeah. So real medicine took care of that, um, and there you go. So that was that was fun, and it was gross, wasn't it? Um, this past week, this was in the news. It's kind of sad news. Uh, not kind of, it is sad news. Uh, the gorilla named Coco, who had learned how to do some signs for sign language. She, she was part of an experiment to see if they could teach, if they could, if primates can grasp language, and if they can learn sign language, and there's a controversy about whether or not she uh, understood language uh, as, 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 a, as a human understands language. Um, there was you know, some suggestion that the people that were working with Coco were a little biased, a little confirmation bias going on. They were ready to read a little more into what she was doing than what maybe she was really doing. You know, she may have just learned that I move my hand this way, I get a grape. Yeah, it understands that. It's not like you're sitting down and having a conversation, talking about, you know, about what do you think about global climate change. You know, it's, she's not going to have that kind of conversation with you. Uh, and the thing is that's disappointing in the way the media covers, covers stuff is that some of these media outlets that were giving this news about Coco dying, and I, th I, I thought, if I'm not mistaken, I think she died at age 46. I hope she had a good life. I mean, she was living, uh, you know, in, 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 I, I, hopefully she wasn't in a cage, to, you know, too nastily caged, that she was treated well. I think the, the people that were working with her treated her as well as, as they could. And... Uh, um, and loved her very much and all that. They brought kittens in for her. She loved kittens. Uh, and and they brought Robin Williams in to visit her. And, and there's a, a moment, I guess, where um, she finds out that Robin Williams had, had, had died. She, they tell her, and then she gets sad. Um, so, did, But did she get sad, or was she reading off the emotions of the people there and just responding? I don't know. We don't know. The language about it. Apparently, there was a chimpanzee named Nim, who uh, psychologists, some psychologists, decided to um, let's raise this this chimpanzee as a human and let's see what happens. And uh, it didn't go well. There's a dollop about that. That's a podcast. That's a history podcast. It looks into the ridiculous and sometimes very embarrassing and sometimes very aggravatingly terrible moments of American history, but often very, uh, but often funny. In, in, certain, in some ways, as you play for some comedy there. But this Nim was said to have this ability to sign, do sign language and have conversations and that, but they're not sure. I mean, really, come on. Uh, and the problem with the media coverage of this is that at least one site had put it, but I think I'd seen others that said, to, you know, Coco, the gorilla who had mastered sign language. Um, no. She didn't master sign language. I think that's, I think that's a little hyperbole there. Um, so it's sad that she's died. Uh, it's a, it, it's, it, it's an interesting situation uh, um, uh, study 
about this gorilla, and it is a it is a possibility to look into it and see that the people who had studied her were going you know, having a little confirmation bias, were reading into uh, what she was doing more than what she was actually doing. There is a write up that's done by uh, I have a Facebook friend named John Ryle, John I think that's how you say his name, and and John wrote up a little blog piece about uh, about Coco. I'll link to that in the show notes at Dimland. Dot com. Go to dimland.com and click on the blog option. You'll get to the show notes, and I'll have links to it. In that, he's a he's a, John is a um, video production guy, an actor, writer. Uh, he works with Skeptic Magazine and in, in, in uh, helping them produce videos. And uh, he did a video where he acts out the, the a transcript of Coco communicating. With uh, one of her one of her trainers, or, you know, and um, he speaks what she signs, and they use an actual transcript, and you can see that you know, she's not. This this isn't language. This is somewhat random responses. It seems it doesn't, and it's usually one or two words, never much more than that. And it's yeah, you know. So you'll check it out. I'll I'll link to it, and you can check it out. Uh, okay, so I've made it to my uh, break time. Uh, you are listening to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Jim, not June, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I shall return after this break. That beats all the competition. And we'll prove it as soon as we hear any competition. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Wash your hands often to reduce the spread of germs and disease. To wash your hands properly, wet them, apply a quarter sized amount of liquid soap, and rub them together for about the time it takes to sing the happy birthday song twice. Wash the front and back, in between your fingers, and under your nails. Dry them with a paper towel if possible, and then use the paper towel to turn off the faucet and open the door. If soap and water aren't available, use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer. A message from the CDC. Okay, I have something here. It's it's an EVP. I'm telling you, it's really something. Um, I need to call it up. i got to tell you, this is uh, really shaking me. I need to play it for you, and uh, well, I won't. Uh, I won't prejudice your mind as to what you're going to hear. I won't prime the pump. Just have a listen. Get out! Did you hear it? Did you hear it? I. I I think that was clear as day. I heard, well, I don't understand it, but it's, I heard bread trout. Clear as day. Ooh, creepy. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. Warmer weather in Minnesota means deer ticks are now feeding in a wooded area near you. Fight the bite. To avoid Lyme and other diseases from deer ticks, use tick repellent. This message from the Minnesota Department of Health. 
Getting some Z's. Getting some Z's. Getting some Z's. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Listen to Z Talk Radio. On ZTalkRadio.com. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Well, I think it's time for one of these, if I can get to play. There we go. And now it's time for a Dimland Radio pedantic moment. Yeah, this ought to be good. Okay. Oh, I played it again. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. This uh, pedantic moment is going to need a fair amount of setup. Um, it's uh, it has to do with uh, Gilbert Gottfried uh, and the joke that's known as the aristocrats. I don't know if you're familiar with this joke. Some time ago, back when my show was. Uh, uh, not available as a podcast. I had recommended the movie The Aristocrats, which is a documentary about the joke, which I'm going to make a movie recommendation again. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll recommend it for you. It's, uh, it's really good. Now, I spotted this uh, interview with Gilbert Gottfried and a friend of his. Um, now, if you don't know who Gilbert Gottfried is, he's a, he's a comedian and an actor. He does voice acting stuff. Uh, uh, and he's been in he's been in you know acting acting in films he's been on, he was on Saturday Night Live he was part of the cast that took over after the originals were all gone uh, he um, he's uh, he's one of those comedians that will push the line he will he will take the audience as far as he thinks he can take them and maybe a little farther uh, he talked about um, uh, the philosophy of uh, um, George Carlin, the great comedian George Carlin, who had said that the job of the comedian is to find where the line is drawn you know, by society, the line of decency or whatever that line represents. And the comedian's job is to find that line and to pass it, to push people past that line. To what end? I don't know to protect our, our First Amendment rights, to get people to lighten up. I don't know. But that's the job of the comedian, to push. And Gilbert took that philosophy to heart, and that's what he does. Now, <clears throat> he uh, was... There's these... Uh, uh, Comedy Central will put these on, uh, but they, it's it's a long tradition. It goes back. Uh, Dean Martin used to do them. It's celebrity roasts, and that's where you bring the man or woman of the hour, and you sit them down, and you bring a bunch of celebrities and comedians, and they all insult the man or woman of the hour, and and then they insult the other people there as well, and it's very funny. And uh, Dean Martin used to they used to be on regular TV back in the day, and they were always funny. Uh, my dad, I remember my dad really enjoying them, and. 
and they've, they've, the tradition has carried on. Uh, Comedy Central will play them, and they've gotten a little more bawdy than they used to be when, when Dean Martin hosted them. But uh, they're still uh, pretty, uh, you know, they're pretty funny, as far as I know. I've seen some of them. I haven't seen much, not having cable. But uh, there was going to be a celebrity roast of Hugh Hefner. The thing is... Uh, it, it took place. It was it was to be done in New York, and it took place. Well, it ended up happening uh, just uh, two and a half weeks or so after 9/11. Uh, the point is made that uh, well, um, as this this special this roast was being uh, videotaped, uh, Ground Zero was still smoking, and. Uh, Gilbert was one of the one of the comedians that that was on the show that night. Uh, okay, so um, th- th- I found this in an interview with uh, Gilbert, uh, 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 an interview of Gilbert Gottfried being done by Richard Belzer, who's also a comedian and an actor, and uh, old friends of Gilbert's. And so the two of them sit down and talk about some stuff, you know, some of uh, the controversies that Gilbert has raised, uh, that have been part of, and 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 this this moment for the country that took place with this this Hugh Hefner roast just after 9/11. And, and so. Um, what happened that night, Gilbert was the last comedian to go on. And as he as said, he always had this philosophy of pushing the audience. So he was the, he, they, they said in the interview that the feel of the night was a little tepid, um, trepidatious, trepidatious, whatever. They were, you know, the people were still, it was in New York and an audience of New Yorkers, and it, they were just a little held back as far as their life. There was laughing and it was funny, but they just they were just holding back a little bit. And uh, they made the point that none of the presenters that night, comedians, actors, and performers that went up there to make fun of everybody else there and Hugh Hefner, none of them had made any kind of uh, mention of 9-11 about what had happened. Well, Gilbert got up there and his first joke, or among his first jokes, uh, was he mentioned something about to, that he was going by his um, Muslim name, and he had some joke name, and that was a little connection toward 9/11, a little connection to it, a little little push. And then he made the joke that he couldn't. He couldn't stay long. He had to get going because he had to fly out to California. And he said, the problem is uh, I couldn't get a flight that doesn't first make a stop. Uh, 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 the flight that he got has to make a stop at the Empire State Building. Something like that. He told the joke much better than I did. But the audience gasped and was, was uh, you know, unbelieving that he made that joke. And it was it was just um, Gilbert said he'd never lost an audience so quickly, so instantaneously lost the audience. Some fellow in the crowd yelled out too soon. And Gilbert made the joke with Belzer saying that 
uh, he thought that the guy was critiquing the joke and that he gave the punchline too soon. And they laughed at that, uh, the two of the two fellows. And Gilbert thought to himself, well, what the hell? So he started telling the aristocrats joke. Now I need to let you know what the aristocrat joke, aristocrats joke is, if in case you don't know. It's an old, old joke. It goes back a hundred years or more. And it's evolved over the years, but it's become this joke that comedians tell each other. They don't, necess they don't usually tell an audience. They tell each other. And they make the joke as, as taboo-pushing, as blue, as dirty, as gross, as, as violent, as nasty a joke as they can. And they will tell the joke as long as they can. They will just keep building on it and building on it and building on it. It's just this weird, extremely funny, depending on your sense of humor, uh, joke that just, just breaks all kinds of boundaries. They just, they just let it flow. And I'll give you a cleaner, a cleaned up version of how the joke goes. There's a family of performers, a mom and dad, brother, sister, uh, and a dog. And they go into a talent agent's office and they say, you know, we have an act and we'd like you to represent us. And so the talent agent says, well, what's your act? So they start to perform the act. Now the the mom and dad are they, you know they they're all well dressed, well groomed. Uh, the, the 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 father and son are dressed in tuxedos. The mother and daughter are in evening wear. The dog is well groomed, and well behaved, and everything as they walk in, they look sharp and all that, just wonderful. And so they start doing their act, and the act involves taking off all their clothes and beginning to have sex with each other and sex with the dog and sex with mom, mom and son and son and daughter and daughter and mom and son and father and all kinds of things just and they go as and the comedian will tell the joke as dirty and as far he'll take it as far as he or she will want to take it and it just gets nasty <laughs> um and gilbert is really good at doing the joke and taking it as far as possible. So that's what he did. He stands up there in front of everybody and he starts telling this joke. And he wins the audience back. The, the comedians on stage, the actors and such might not have known, but the comedians on stage, they knew this joke. They knew that they were thinking to themselves, He's not going to do this, is he? And he did. He does it. He wins back the audience. It's hilarious. He won the night. It was a, it was a cultural touchstone, if you will. Eh, some people thought it was. It was a moment of catharsis where that soon after 9-11, that soon after that terrible event with terrible times yet to come, but still that moment was it, it, Gilbert was helping this this room at least at that moment realize you know we're going to be okay and this is what they talked about in the interview and the this, the moment so inspired uh, some of the people there uh, Penn Jillette had saw this I don't know if, I think he was there but he 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 knew about this and. 
he was inspired, he and Paul Provenza, uh, an actor-comedian filmmaker, they decided to make a documentary about the joke, The Aristocrats, which is what's up there. Now, uh, oh, I should pay off the joke a little bit. Um, Okay, so the family's doing all the stuff. And they're going through, and they're doing, and there's bodily fluids, and there's all kinds of feel matter all over the place, and everybody does everything possible to each other. And when they finally finish the act, the travel, uh, the the talent agent says, "Wow, that's uh, well, that's quite an act you got there. What do you guys call yourselves?" And they say, "The Aristocrats." Um, so the so this documentary has been made, so that you should check it out. Okay. That's the setup to this. Don't forget, I I, I have not forgotten. I'm in a pedantic moment here. I haven't forgotten. I'm going to get to it. But that all needed to be set up. So Gilbert and Richard Belzer are sitting there. They're talking about this. And the interview show, I guess guess Belzer does this. I don't know what network he does it on. But it it must be a cable network. And so they, they, you know, the language used is... The language used, they, they, it's, I mean, they, they drop F-bombs and they talk about all the, you know, they, they go in, because Gilbert tells a bit of that joke. He tells a, a shortened version of it, and he's got Belzer laughing, and, you know, so he, he tells the joke, and something happens in there. Now remember, it's it's the they're they're dropping f bombs. They're they're saying shit and they're saying you know all kinds of stuff in there and 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 describing all sorts of sexual acts that include bestiality and incest. And he gets to, Gilbert gets to this part. Now I've got an audio clip here. It's it's about fifteen seconds or so. And I have to warn you, there's a couple f bombs in it. You'll be able to handle it. But there's also some you know there's some deviant sexual kind of stuff going on in there in this clip that you'll hear. But I want you to listen for something and you'll understand why I've gotten pedantic about it. <clears throat> okay, so um, I'm going to get it set up here. Get it ready. And uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to play this now. Again, be warned. The language is, is this clip that I'm playing here. All I did was pull it out of the interview. That's all I did. I did no editing otherwise than taking this clip out. So this is as it is in the interview that you can find online on YouTube. So uh, have a listen. Again, be warned about the language and about the content, but you'll understand once you hear it. And then the brother and sister take their clothes off and start fucking each other. And then they're jerking off the dog and they're licking the dog's ass. And then the son starts fucking his mother. Well, okay. <laughs> you see how the joke is? Yeah. But did you did you catch it? Did you hear it? I don't. Again, I did not do anything to the clip other than just cut it out and put it in there. That's all I did. The 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 the, the network or whatever that's responsible for this program decided to bleep the word asshole. Now I'm I'm not I, that doesn't make any sense to me. We th- Gilbert tells this joke. He tells it about a I don't know. It's about he takes about two minutes to tell the joke or a minute to tell the joke, but whatever. But he it's filled with f bombs and all co- kinds of descriptions of sexual acts and all sorts of stuff. And the only thing that gets bleeped the entire time 
is the word asshole. And I don't get it. I played this clip, uh, this bit of the interview, uh, for my wife. And she didn't catch it at first. I said, you didn't catch it? And I, I, I backed it up and played it again. And, and, and then when she got it, she started cracking up. That doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. So maybe there's a certain sense of irony that they're trying to do here. I don't know what they're doing. But why would you bleep that word after you talk about what they did to the dog, what they do to each other, and all this stuff? And, 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 and it's, it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> but what does make sense to me is that I should take my second break because I need to rest the vocals cords for a little bit. So you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Talk Radio Network, and I shall return after this break. <laughs> Filet a fanny snake in the cauldron boil and bake. I have newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and howlet's wing for a charm of powerful trouble, like hell broth boil and bubble. This brew be ye only salvation from your favorite radio station. <laughs> You're listening to Zeta Radio Network. <laughs> I'm a paramedic, and it may sound silly, but a lot of people are afraid to call 911 when they're experiencing uncomfortable pressure, fullness, squeezing, or pain in the center of the chest. Instead, people risk permanent damage or death because they're afraid they might get a lecture. To learn more about heart attack warning signs, call the American Heart Association at 1-800-AHA-USA-1 or visit us on the web at AmericanHeart.org. Hey, I almost forgot. It's, it's time for... It's quiz time on Dimland Radio. Everybody got your pens ready? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question here. It's a multiple-choice answer. Uh, can you name the person who said this? That's why I don't eat friggin' lobster or anything like that, because they're alive when you kill it. Was that A, Mahatma Gandhi, B, Jane Goodall, C, Albert Einstein, or D, Snooky. This has been Quiz Time on Dimland Radio. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. Well, I'll be hornswoggled. 
You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. You don't say. Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ztalkradio.com. That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Okay, I'm going to end the show, or this, do this third segment of the show, um, get a little political. Nah, I'm doing my gadfly thing, okay, where I, where I take something and I say, okay, great, see your point, but did you not notice this? Um, you know, where I kind of point to something out, and it has to do with with bias. Uh, the I mentioned earlier in the show this issue of Skeptical Inquirer magazine, which I was attempting to read at the uh, doctor's appointment, but uh, they <laughs> everybody was on time. <laughs> they didn't have to sit around waiting. Um, in that issue, which uh, I couldn't find the article online, you'd have to have a subscription to be able to see it online. So you know, maybe you can find the magazine at the library or something. I don't know, but uh, it is the the March April uh, 2016 edition of the Skeptical Inquirer magazine. There's an article in there written by Thomas Gilovich and Lee Ross. They are both uh, psychology professors at Cornell University. So the two of them know a hell of a lot about uh, more about uh, psychology than I do. I will bow to their expertise. Um, they've written an article that they've titled The Moat in Thy Brother's Eye. And the article is about how it's very easy for us as human beings to see the bias in other people, but it's not so easy to see the bias in ourselves, to see our own biases. And as a, as a skeptic, I try to see that. I try, and a good skeptic should try that. It's not easy because we're human beings and you know we we sometimes make uh, decisions on on uh, um, uh, on our world view which may be biased to a certain social uh, way of thinking or political way of thinking and we just don't notice that that's what we've done and uh, some and and in the article they give a bit of an example I'll mention George Carlin again they talk about the 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 observation George Carlin made where he says uh, yeah, when you're driving, everyone that drives faster than you is a maniac, and everyone that drives slower than you is an, is an idiot. <laughs> and that's that, you know, you don't realize, well, hang on, everybody's driving, you know, these people driving faster, they're crazy. Maybe I'm driving too slow, though. Or, boy, these people are driving so damn slow around here, maybe I'm driving too fast. You don't think that way. You just think, that guy's a maniac and that guy's an idiot. So, uh, my way of thinking is, is right. Now, I'm going to give some examples in here. I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going to do this, like I said, the gadfly thing. So, <clears throat> here's, a, I'll, I'll read from the article. 
one of the most consequential Supreme Court decisions in recent U.S. history was its 2000 decision, decision in Bush versus Gore. And then they say parenthetically, imagine how differently the United States might have reacted to the 9-11-2001 attacks on the World Trade Center if Gore had been president rather than Bush. No invasion of Iraq, almost certainly a speedier and more determined effort to wean the United States from dependence on oil from the Middle East, and a greater priority given to the development of renewable energy sources to curb climate change. Now before I continue, hold on there fellas. <laughs> no invasion of Iraq? Maybe. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what would have happened. We don't know if, if Al Gore would have taken us in there. If he had, I have a feeling that a lot of the people that were talking about, you know, didn't find out that we had that there were weapons of mass destruction and all this stuff. I have a feeling that a lot of the people that were saying Bush lied us into that war would not be saying Al Gore lied to get us into that war. If we had gone into invaded Iraq. Maybe we would have, maybe we wouldn't have. We don't know. The uh, uh, the speedy and more determined effort to wean the United States from dependence on oil from the Middle East? Well, I could be wrong here, but uh, it, the point was made over and over and over and over is that the United States doesn't get a lot of oil from the Middle East. They get their oil from Canada and Venezuela. But that may be true, though, to, 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 take, to get even less from there. That may be absolutely true, that Al Gore would have put in that direction. And I will give him that he, there would have been a much greater priority placed on what we can do to curb global climate change. Okay, I do agree. So just saying, fellas, just saying Tom and Lee, just, you know. Okay, back to the article. <clears throat> The decision blocked a recount of ballots in the uh, exceptionally close race in Florida, handing the presidency to George W. Bush. Critics were quick to note that the, four to, the five to four decisions split perfectly along the court's conservative liberal lines. Many were outraged that the majority justices were suddenly willing to insert federal authority in this case despite their frequently expressed reservations about judicial activism and their advocacy of states' rights and a narrow interpretation interpretation of the Equal Protection Clause. As one legal scholar observed, I do not know how I do not know a single person who believes that if the parties were reversed, if Gore were challenging a recount ordered by a Republican Florida Supreme Court, the majority would have reached for a startling and innovative principle of constitutional law to hand Gore the victory. While most Democrats thought the majority's decision was tainted by ideological and motivational bias, the five justices behind that opinion insisted otherwise. They maintained that they were applying the law in, the, in an even-handed fashion. Justice Clarence Thomas told a group of students in Washington, D.C. that the decision was not in any way influenced by partisanship. Justice Antonin Scalia had been even more dismissive of any such claim, telling an audience at Wellesleyan University uh, to, quote, get over it. Conservative pundits, it should be noted, agreed with Scalia and Thomas, and we suspect would contend that it was the four dissenting liberal justices whose opinions in the case had been influenced by their political leanings. 
Okay, what they're saying in this article is we can see the bias in others, but we can't see it in ourselves, remember? They continue a little bit here. Uh, although the majority's decision might seem remarkable and, depending on your political allegiances, perhaps even bizarre, the conservative justice's response to the accusation of bias is anything but. People rarely think they are biased. As easy as it is to see when other people are biased, it's hard to see when we ourselves are. In short, we're no different from the majority in Bush versus Gore. Okay, uh, the two fellows who wrote this article are showing a little something. Do you, don't you get the impression that they're assuming that the four dissenting justices in the five to four decision are the one, are, were right and that the five were wrong? The five were biased, but the four weren't. Weren't they biased too? It was along party lines. Wasn't it? Oh, and by the way, there were two decisions by the Supreme Court. There were two. Uh, this is off of Wikipedia. I know, you'll say, but, but just come on. Uh, the court ruled that there was an equal protection clause violation in using different standards of counting in different counties and ruled that no alternative method could be established within the time limit set by Title III of the United States Code. The vote regarding the Equal Protection Clause was 7 to 2. And regarding the lack of an alternative method was 5 to 4. Convenient that the authors forgot to mention there was a 7 to 2 decision. And how often do you hear about the 7 to 2 vote? How often do you hear about that? But you sure hear about the 5 to 4, don't you? Seems, seems a little something, doesn't it? Um, okay. <clears throat> Later in the article, they give some examples of people who would have, uh, for uh, lack of a better way, uh, an easier way to say this, might have a dog in the fight. So they, their opinion on a particular topic might uh, be uh, out of step with their overall political worldview. Okay? All right, I'm going to read you this point. Former Vice President Dick Cheney no doubt attributes his uncharacteristically tolerant views about gay rights to the insight he has been able to achieve by having a lesbian daughter. But his conservative critics are certain that his views would be less wrong-headed if not for his personal connection to the issue, and they wonder why he is not able to recognize this obvious source of bias. Meanwhile, his more numerous critics on the left wonder why his tolerance on this issue doesn't extend to other groups that suffer discrimination. Similarly, liberals question whether Nancy Reagan would have been such an outspoken advocate of government support of stem cell research if her husband hadn't suffered from Alzheimer's disease. Why doesn't she see, they wonder, um, 
that her stance is at odds with her husband's oft-repeated jibe that the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Liberals also find it odd that Sarah Palin would campaign, campaign on a platform that emphasized reduced government spending while championing increased federal spending on programs for disabled children until they realize that she herself has a disabled child. Same could be said for views of conservatives who have who uh, for a cons for the conservative. Oh, let me start that again. The same could be said. Now this is in generic here. The same could be said uh, of uh, of the views of the conservative who has spent a night in prison, or the leftist who has been mugged or harassed by board of health inspectors when trying to open a restaurant. Okay, why have I brought these little moments up here? Did you notice something? I, I guarantee you, the only named examples in this article are conservative, you know, are, are conservatives. They're the only named examples of bias. You've got Clarence Thomas, Antonin Scalia, Dick Cheney, Nancy Reagan, and Sarah Palin. Now, Al Gore is mentioned in there, but they don't talk about a bias that Al Gore has. They talk about it in that there's no attempt to say, yeah, you know, you got Bill, President Bill Clinton, who signed into law sweeping welfare reform changes. You know, it, 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 he, you know, which would seem to uh, be contrary to the democratic notion of helping people out. You, they, or they could have mentioned Tipper Gore and her campaign against rock music and, how, and the terrible lyrics, the sexual and violent lyrics and all that kind of stuff, and the campaign that she had uh, about that uh, would seem to go against the liberal notion of venerating the First Amendment free speech rights. Just as Senator Hillary Clinton, when she went after uh, violent video games, was doing the same thing. Those are examples. Well, wait a minute. Now, they don't. They may not be able to make a connection to they have a dog in the fight, or maybe you know, like Tipper Gore might have kids, and so what? She, I got kids, and I'm worried about my kids and this stuff. Uh, uh, I don't think Hillary was too worried about about uh, Chelsea, but nevertheless, there's there, there seems to be you know you're giving examples of going against your party line. It seems. But you only do that for the conservative sides. The the justices that that the five justices are biased, but the four aren't. Yeah, it's it's just it, you see what I mean. So here's an article about uh, uh, you know with two psychologists who I look I ex I accept the article. I think it's right. I think it's they're, they're they are spot on when they talk about people not realizing the biases in themselves, but they can see it in others. But I think the article is at least a, somewhat of an example of these two fellas not being able to see their own bias when talking about other people not being able to see the bias in others. And not being able to see them. It's being able to see it in others, but not in themselves. See what I mean? Am I nitpicking? I don't know. Three cool things. <clears throat> um, the third, Number three is the draining of the elbow. It was kind of cool. The human body, I got to tell you, it finds a way to take care of this stuff and to deal with it. 
I mean, the fluid was was there in order to deal with whatever was going on in that elbow, but it just needed a little medical help to 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 put things back into the way they should be. And hope and hopefully I don't have a problem again, but we'll see. Number two cool thing is that Gilbert Gottfried, uh, Richard Belzer interview. I will link to it. You can watch the whole thing. I mean, the language gets pretty raw, but they, they do make some, they have some interesting stuff. It's funny, and there's some observations in there that I think are pretty cool. And uh, number one cool thing of the week, uh, I finished a couple more illustrations for the Nostalgia Zone comic book store, a couple, you know, uh, for our new arrival materials, and uh, um, I think they turned out pretty well. Um, they're a bit macabre. The, this, these two are a bit on the macabre side, so they'll be cool. I will link to those on the show notes, which you can check out. I hope that you've had at least that you you right there have had at least three cool things happen to you this past week. Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. And I've come to the end of another edition of Dimland Radio. Uh, I let's see. I need to uh, remind you that you should be skeptical and that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and that you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com, and that I am your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons, and I wish you would all remember to sleep with the lights off. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option. And you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. in. Well, well, I'm going to hell. Oh, and before I forget, uh, when it came to that election in 2000 between. Bush and Gore, uh, the Wikipedia does say this. Media organizations subsequently analyzed the ballots and found that the originally proposed county-based recounts would have resulted in a different outcome, a Bush victory, than a full statewide recount, a Gore victory. How, how would that be possible? Doesn't every vote count? If you do it all by count, shouldn't it? If, uh, how, why wouldn't they be the same? I, I just this is a lot more complicated than than it should be, right? I don't know.